I'm going to start a new teaching series that really focuses on what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. And I want to begin, as you take your Bible and open it with me to Matthew chapter 16, Matthew 16, but I want to begin by asking you a question, okay? And, and I want you to imagine you were in school and the teacher was asking you to write the answer to this question on a sheet of paper. What would you write? Formulate your answer in your mind, okay? Here's the question. What does it mean to follow Jesus Christ? What does it mean to follow Jesus Christ? If you had to write that, the answer to that question on a piece of paper, what would you say? What does it mean to follow Jesus Christ? Well, look at what Jesus said about it in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. And this is immediately after Peter has acknowledged on behalf of all the disciples, they know who Jesus is. He really is the promised Messiah. The Father would send to die on the cross so people could be saved. We get it. We know who you are. Jesus says, okay, now that you get it, you know who I am. Listen. In verse 24, if anyone wishes to come after me, you want to follow me? Okay. You want to be part of my team? Okay. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must do some things. Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And then Jesus added in verse 25, for whoever wishes to save his life will do what? Lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, for Jesus' sake, will find it. Now Jesus is saying some things in those words. He's saying that if you're going to follow him, it's about him. It's not about yourself. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ. And too often we who have been saved for a while and been in the church a while make the mistake of thinking of Jesus sort of like an appendage. We're going to live our life, do our thing, do our stuff, and Jesus is this appendage that is there to serve us, to help us, And so, Jesus, help me live my life, help me be happy, help me this, help me that. And what Jesus says, no, that's not how it works. If you're going to follow me, he says, your life is about me. Because if you try to control your life, you will end up losing it. But if you lose your life, just surrender it and let go of it for my sake, for Jesus' sake, that's when you discover life as God intended for us. And so he said, hey, it's not about you. It's not about you and what you want in life. It's about him and his purpose and his plan and his will for your life. But he also said it's about following him. If anyone wants to come after me, deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. It's not about church, even though church is important. It's not about religion. It's not about this. It's not about that. It is about him. And let me just kind of help you start thinking about what that looks like. When I was in Zambia with a team from our church in May, first couple of days, I remember going out to the, those remote villages, miles from any town, and uh, we, 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 we walked through paths, you know, through grain fields, corn fields, and, and going to these small places, and I didn't know where I was going, but Moyo, who was my translator, you see him on the right, I just followed him because he knew where he was going. And, and when Moyo would turn left, I turned left. When he turned right, I turned left. And whatever trail he took, that's the trail I took. I just followed Moyo. And we would walk into these small villages, and I didn't know what to do. I mean, do you, you, some people were in the house. Others were out in the field. Some were at a, you know, a grinding grain. 
kids playing. I didn't know. Do you go knock on the door? What do you do when you go into those places? I didn't know. And Moyo would just go over and he would sit down. And then he would motion for me to sit down. And so I sat where he told me to sit. And then over time, all these people just started gathering around us. Well, after doing that two or three days, I knew where I was going. And since we were going back to the same villages, I was able to, I, I was able to get there on my own. And I could lead other people to get to those villages. And after a couple of days, I knew that when I walked into a new village, their culture was if I went over and if I sat here, they would bring stools out and all the family. I figured it out because I, all I did was I went where Moyo went. I did what Moyo did. And then after two or three days, I was able to go where I needed to go, do what I needed to do, and take people with me to show them where to go and what to do. And in essence, following Jesus is sort of like that. Jesus goes and you go with him. Jesus does, and you do what he does. Jesus says, say this, and you say that. And once you follow him, you're able then to help others follow on that path, help others know how to do what Jesus expects us to do. It's following. I mean, when you follow someone, they're in front, and you are behind. And so if you're going to come after Jesus, you're going to follow after Jesus, you're not the one leading. You're not the one blazing the trail. You're not the one in charge. You're following him and his path and his example, learning from him to do what he does, go where he goes. That's the essence of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, during his lifetime, a young Jewish male might attach himself to a rabbi because he really wanted to learn what it meant to be a a good Jew and know the Old Testament Scripture. And so rabbis would often have these students called disciples. They would teach classes, and all of their students, all of their disciples would sit in those classes and listen to them. And people in the community could come if they wanted to and listen, and sometimes they would. And then this rabbi would take his students, take his disciples on on teaching trips, if you will. They might spend two weeks, two months, five months on a trip, all of his disciples, all of his students walking with him, listening to him, doing what he did, learning from him. And isn't that exactly what Jesus did with the 12 disciples? For three years they followed him. They went where he went. They listened to him teach. Sometimes other people listened in as he was teaching them. Sometimes he taught them privately. They, he told them to do things and they did it and they learned from him so that when he went back to the Father, they were then able to help others Do likewise. Now here's the thing. Those 12 men, you know, Peter, James, John, those guys, they were not the only disciples of Jesus. The Bible teaches that all of us who claim to be a Christian, all of us who have invited Jesus into our lives and we've committed ourselves to him, we are disciples. We are his followers. Jesus is not an appendage that's there to serve us and help us, even though he does bless us, right? And he gives us joy and he forgives us and he gives us eternal life and the home in heaven. All of that's true, but it's about so much more than that. It is about following on the path that he walks for us and we follow him. It it is about learning from him to do like him, to be like him. The word Christian, little Christ, that he rubs off on us and every passing day we become more like him. We reflect him increasingly. 
So that's what it is to follow Jesus Christ. And you and I are his followers. Listen to what he said in John's gospel. In chapter 14, verse 15, he said, if you love me, you'll do what? You obey me. If you love me, you obey what I command. Another verse in John 14, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who does what? Loves me. So what's Jesus saying? If you have my commands, you know what I say, and then you do it, that's evidence that you love me. Next verse in John 14, the one who does not love me will not obey my teaching. And so Jesus says, part of the evidence of you following me, part of the evidence of you loving me, part of the evidence of you being my disciple is you do what I say. You obey me. You know my word, you know my teaching, and you do it, you obey it. So in 2015, as followers of Christ, what does it mean? It means we attach ourselves, our hearts, our minds, our wills, our lives, our total being. We attach ourselves to Jesus Christ to follow the path he lays out for us in life, doing what he tells us to do, obeying what he says. Now, for the next six weeks, I want to put some flesh on all of that. I want to paint a picture for you, if I can, of what it looks like to follow Jesus in in good times and bad times, when life is easy and happy, and when life is hard and sad. Because some of you in this room have already experienced hard times, correct? How many of you have lost a member of your immediate family. You've gone through that kind of grief. How many of you have had cancer in your family? How many of you have walked into your boss's office and he said, I'm sorry, but we're letting you go? We we experience hard times in life, and many of you have already experienced them. If you haven't, you will. And so are you going to follow Jesus when those hard moments come? Well, what about when life is easy and everything's good? You follow Jesus in those times? See, following him means we follow him through the various circumstances of life. The circumstances do not dictate our choice to follow. Following him dictates who we are, how we think, the choices we make in the midst of whatever circumstances we find ourselves in life. And I want to use the family whose picture you see on the screen, screen, the Tim Boom family, to illustrate that over the next few weeks. We're going to look in Scripture, some of the things the Bible says about following Jesus, and illustrate it from stories in their lives. Now, I know some of you are looking at that picture and think, man, they're ancient. That family, that, that photograph would have been taken in the early 1900s. And the family, the Tim Boom family, we're going to focus on their life a little bit in the 1800s, but up through World War II. And um, as the weeks unfold, you'll understand more and more why I want to use them as an example. And part of it is because this is a family that had a tradition of loving Jesus for generations. And, And they served him and they were faithful in some really fun times, but also in some very difficult times. And some of you in here a little bit know a little bit about them. Others of you don't have a clue who this family is. But in 1971, this book was published, The Hiding Place. And in 1975, this movie came out, The Hiding Place, about their lives. This was a family that lived in Holland, in Harlem, Holland, or the Netherlands, and loved the Lord. And during World War II, 
made the decision as Christians, as followers of Jesus, to try to save as many Jews as they could from the Nazis once Germany occupied Holland. And the family ended up paying a heavy price for it. And we're not going to focus just on the war years. We're going to look at some things before that, during the war, and then after the war. Look at this family's life, not just Corey, but the family, and illustrate some biblical principles that we will study about following Jesus Christ. Because, you know, we dress differently than they dressed. Our hair is different than their hair. We have technology they didn't have. But, you know, here's the thing. People are people, and life is life. Doesn't matter what decade or century, doesn't matter what continent, people are people and life is life. And as disciples of Jesus, we follow him, good times, hard times, and there's some lessons we can learn from God's people who live in different places and in different eras. And if you are wise, you'll dig deep in this series. If you really want to learn about following Christ through the different seasons of life, you'll open your heart and soul, I mean, big time to what God wants to say to you these next few weeks. This family, the Tim Boone family, lived in in, in Harlem, the Netherlands, in Holland. I never have understood why Holland and the Netherlands, two names for the same country, but but that's what they are, and they're called the Dutch people, not, not Hollanders. I don't get it, but anyway, I guess there's things they don't get about us Americans. But they lived in that simple little house. It's three stories, but it's a shotgun house. It's narrow, just one room wide. And in the bottom of it was a, a watch shop, if you will. The, the dad, Casper, and his father before him in the, in the mid-1800s had a watch shop there, and they sold watches, and in the back of it they had a repair shop, and they repaired them, and the family worked in the business together, and they lived in the quarters above. And uh, they had this history of loving Jesus that went all the way back to Corey Timboom's grandfather of loving Jesus and serving Jesus. They raised hundreds of foster kids over the years in that house in addition to their own family. Uh, Corey taught a Bible study class for people with mental learning disabilities. And so they were always finding ways to impact the community for Christ. And it's estimated that they saved more than 800 Jews from the Nazis during World War II. And if you go to the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem, Corey later planted a tree there, and, and the nation of Israel has honored her family for what they did during the war to save Jews. And this family suffered during the war because of their faithfulness. Um, the father, Casper, 84 years old when he was arrested by the Gestapo for his work with the underground saving Jews. 84 years old. And he died in prison 10 days after he was arrested. All four of his children were arrested by the Gestapo for their work as Christians saving Jews. Corey's brother became a minister and once he was released by the Germans, he, he died a year later from tuberculosis that he contracted while he was in prison. 
All three sisters, all three daughters, if you will, were arrested by the Gestapo and spent time in prison. And Corey and her sister Betsy moved from concentration camp to concentration camp, ended up in Ravensbrück just uh, outside of Berlin where Betsy died. And Corey was released because of a clerical mistake. And ten days after that clerical mistake, gave her her freedom, every woman in that concentration camp, her age, was put to death in the gas chambers. When the movie came out and the book came out, she's featured, Corey Tim Boom. You know why? Because she's the only one that survived. But the story is about more than her. It's about her family. And, and we're going to look at stories in, uh, from their lives during the war, during the concentration camps, before the war, when things were good. And as we open up God's Word and look, what are following Jesus, what does that look like? We're going to learn some things that I think will help us and bless us. And here's the big takeaway I want you to get today. It's, it's allowing... God's Word, allowing what God says to shape your life in such a way that that you influence other people. And you pass something on to the generations that come after you. You pass something on to your children and to your grandchildren. You pass something on to, to strangers who observe you. Because your life is so shaped by Jesus, so shaped by his word and his truth, you are a different person. Now, this this will seem really strange to some of you. And some of you are going to feel guilty. And some of you are going to say, I can never do that. But the Tin Boom family, for years, had a tradition. They had a schedule they followed in that house. And at 8.10, 10 minutes after 8, every morning they gathered for breakfast. And if you've been in Europe, you all know things don't open early. And then they take their midday nap. And then, you know, it's a different culture than ours. And uh, so at 8.10, they would gather in a small dining room in that little house for breakfast. Every day. And at 8.30, the father, Casper, would reach up on a shelf and pull down a big Bible and open it. And he would read one chapter from a book of the Bible. Every day, every morning, 8.15. Every evening at 8.45, he'd take that Bible down, open it, read one chapter, and all the family gathered around. In the mornings, the, the, the two or three employees who helped them in the watch shop would gather with them for that reading. All the foster kids, anybody who was in the house gathered for that Bible reading every day, every morning, every evening. Now, let me just ask you, do you think a practice like that, whether you think you can do that or not, would have an impact on people? Do, do you think that if you just personally took the time every single day, no matter what was going on in your life, to read from God's Word, it would have an impact on your walk with Jesus Christ? Do you think it would? I don't know how it could not impact you. And so that was their family tradition. It started in 1844 when Corey's grandfather, Casper's father, heard a sermon and he was inspired to do it. So in 1844, 
he started that tradition and it went down through the years, generation to generation in their home. And so now you jump ahead 50 some years and Corey's entering first grade. This old woman is a little girl, six years old. It's 1898 and she's going into first grade, first day of school and she's nervous. And they gather and have their breakfast and their dad, Casper, takes down the family Bible and he reads one chapter. They were in Psalms. He read Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. You don't read that quickly. (laughs) One of the verses in Psalm 119, verse 30, says, I have chosen the faithful way. I have placed your ordinances before me. It's the picture of taking the ordinances, the commands, the instructions, the word of God, and holding it in your face in front of you. And it shapes the direction you go, how you live, your choices. And so many of us are busy running along the paths that we choose, putting everything and anything else in our face to influence us and seldom, if ever, apart from Sunday morning, put God's Word in our face. Is it any wonder that so many of us who call ourselves Christians struggle to stay on the right path? To make Christ-honoring decisions when challenging moments come. But that's one of the verses the family read that morning. Another verse in Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. As the day goes by, I think about your word. I'm thinking about what you say. So God, as I'm dealing with things, your word is part of my consciousness. Your commandments and your truth, I'm thinking about them. Psalm 119, verse 105, this is a word we always, you know, verse we teach kids in Bible school and stuff. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. How do you see the way forward? How do you see the path you're to follow at different circumstances in life? Allow God's Word to shine a light on your path, on your steps, so that you don't misstep, so that you see where you're walking and don't stumble in the darkness. So this is a family, as you're going to see in the weeks to come, that sought to know and obey the Word of God and let it shape their lives. Now, here's, here's the thing. You and me, you and me, in order to do God's Word, I have to know God's Word. I mean, how, how am I going to do God's Word, do what it says, if I don't know it, if I don't know what it says? And then how am I going to know what it says if I don't read it? So when I read it, I know what it says. When I know what it says, I'm able to do it. But if I'm never reading it, I won't know what it says, and therefore I'm not likely to do what it says in the different moments of life. What is your commitment to opening your heart and soul and mind to be fed by the Word of God? What is your Bible reading practice like today? If, if, if somebody followed you around 24-7 for the next two or three weeks, what would they say about your Bible reading? Exposing yourself to the Word of God. 
Can you imagine what would happen in your life if you kept his word in front of you before your face? So think about this. When Corey was six years old going into first grade and her dad pulled down the Bible and read Psalm 119, every morning and every night, now listen to this, every morning and every night for 54 years her family had done that. Now, that's quite a family tradition. That's quite a heritage. Now, jump ahead another 39 years. Things are falling apart in Europe because of the Nazis, because of Hitler and Germany. In this shop where they sold watches and repaired watches, it's celebrating its 100th anniversary, started by Corey's grandfather in, eight, in 18, uh, 1830-something. And so they're, they're, they're celebrating 100 years, and, and, and the dignitaries from the city are coming. And, and, and early that morning, even before they get their breakfast, the people are knocking on the doors, and it's busy, and they're all dressed in their best clothes, and it's a busy day. Everybody's going to be there the whole day, a lot to do. And Corey talks about thinking, you know, surely on a day like this, as busy as all we have to do, Dad's not going to you know, make us sit down and read a chapter in the Bible, but at 8.30, he has the family around the table, and he takes down the Bible, and he reads a chapter that morning as a 77-year-old man. And every morning, his family had done that now for 93 years. Now, that's a heritage. That's a heritage. Germany invades Holland. There are conquered people. And in the weeks to come, you'll learn some things about their involvement with the underground saving Jews. But I want you to jump ahead. It's February 28, 1944. It's the day the Gestapo raid that little house. The Ten Boom family is arrested. Several workers with their underground throughout the day are arrested. They spend that first day and nine in the police headquarters in a gymnasium in their hometown. And it's their family and their co-workers and some others from the community all gathered in that place. Now, I want you to put yourself in, in Casper Ten Boom's place. Here's an 84-year-old man, white-haired, white beard, 84 years old, and they've seen enough during the war to know that most of the people who were arrested by the Gestapo ended up in a concentration camp and dead. So he's 84 years old. He's a grandfather. Anybody, any grandparents in this room? Parents, grandparents, wouldn't you do anything to protect your kids? Would you give your life to protect your grandchildren? He's 84 years old, and he's in that room. And you know who's in that room with him? All of his children. His son, who's a preacher, his three daughters, they're in the room with him. One of his grandchildren is in the room with him. A lot of their friends are in the room. And that evening, in that gym... That 84-year-old man has a crowd of people gather around him as he leads them in prayer 
and from memory, because he's read it so many times, quotes large portions of Psalm 91 and Psalm 119. And here's the thing I want you, the picture I want you to get. That was 1944. Do you know when his dad started that family tradition? 1844. And for 100 years, every morning and every night, God's word was part of their family heritage. How much scripture would you be able to recall How much scripture would come out of your heart and out of your mind if you found yourself suddenly in a crisis and you didn't have a written book? Because how much it's shaping your life is not determined by your ability to reach on a nightstand and find it. How much of this is shaping your life is determined by how much of it is is in here. And in here, what's your heritage when it comes to the Word of God? What's what's your commitment to the Word of God? What are you passing to your children and your grandchildren and, and others who observe you in life? In Deuteronomy 6, a passage that is so important to, to Jewish people. God gives the commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. And then he follows that by talking about the importance of Scripture. He says these words, these words, which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently, intentionally, with purpose to your sons. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. So they, they had a heritage of loving Jesus and serving Jesus when, and when, when life was happy, but when it was hard. But, but you, you, you're going to struggle to do that if there's no place in your heart for God's Word because you're not going to know what He says and you're not going to be shaped by Him if you never listen to Him. And so those students would follow the Jewish rabbi and learn from him. The disciples followed Jesus and they listened to him and they did what he said and they they learned and they became more like him so that when he went back to the Father in heaven, they were able to help us. The question is not so much what heritage have you received, but what are you creating for those who come after you? The truth is most of us in the church today receive more than we're passing on. Not all of us, but many of us. And we're losing generations because we're making Jesus an appendage about what I get out of church. 
more than about, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus who died on the cross to save me, and He is my life. Nine years after World War II ended, after Hitler and the Nazis had been defeated, Corey Tim Boom was 62 years old. Late one evening, she got off a train in her hometown of Harlem. And she was making her way to a, a phone booth to call someone to come and pick her up. It was storming that night and raining heavily, and this 62-year-old woman slipped on the wet pavement, fell, and badly injured her hip. Lying there in the street, people came to help her. And one of the persons who came to help her was a cop, a police officer. And during the Nazi occupation, some of the police in Holland cooperated with the Nazis. Others didn't so much as cooperate but kept their jobs so they would be in a position to help people. He was one of those cops. He came over and he was helping her and he asked her what her name was. She said, Corey Tim Boone. And he got this puzzled look on his face. He said, are you part of the Tim Boone family that was arrested here about 10 years ago? And she said she was. And he said to her, you know, I'm so sorry about your accident, you know, about her falling. But I'm really glad to see you again. Now, she never met him, but he said, I'm really glad to see you again. He said, I will never forget that night in the police station. So he'd been on duty that night. They were arrested. He was there when her father and two sisters and brother and nephew were drug into the police station along with her. He said, I'll never forget that night in the police station. He went on to tell her, I remember you were all sitting and lying on the floor and on cots, or mats rather, and your old father was there. Remember, he's 84 years old, her father, that night. And your old father was there with all of his children and so many of your friends. And he said, I remember your dad leading that group in prayer and quoting from the Psalms. And he even went on to tell her, I remember some of the verses, and he quoted some of the verses that her dad had quoted that night. And then he said this. He said, I've often told my colleagues that there was an atmosphere of peace and joy in our station that night as if you were going to a feast instead of a prison and death. Now, when you read Corey's accounts of that night of their arrest, she describes all their fear. See, walking with Jesus and having faith doesn't mean you have no fear. But it does mean in the midst of it, there is something strangely different because your life and your disposition and your mind and your heart have been shaped by his truth, his word that you keep in front of you all the time. 
And so while you know all that's going on inside of you to those who are looking and those who are watching, those who are seeing, there's something different. Oftentimes more than we realize. But if we're not keeping His Word in front of us, there's not much different. And here's something I want you to understand. People are always watching us. Always. Your children, your grandchildren, absolutely. Your co-workers, neighbors, classmates, teammates, people in the club you are part of, always watching us. And sometimes strangers... Sometimes strangers are watching us. And we don't even know it. And we end up influencing them. And we often never know it. So when I ask you again, what kind of heritage are you passing on? Not just what have you received. Some of us came from families that we didn't have a Christian heritage. We're the ones starting it. But what are you leaving those who come after you? And and, and you're not going to leave them much if it's just about going to church. You're not going to leave them much if that's all you got. You want to leave them something that can prepare them for the 100 celebrations, 100-year celebrations when things are happy and, and everybody's celebrating. You want to leave them something that prepares them for the times when they're sort of under the gun and life is hard. Because I, I don't know what path my life will take me down next week. None of us do. I just know that like Moyo was out in front of me walking to, to guide me in, in Zambia. Jesus is already on that path, and he's going to walk it with me. But if I'm going to walk it the right way, I've got to stay connected to him, keep his word in front of me and allow that to shape me, whether that path is to a party or that path is to a concentration camp. Because that's what following Jesus is. And does he help us through all of that? Yes. But it's about him. It's about him. It's about him. I'm not, I'm not going to know how to follow him very well if I never listen to him. If I never hear him. So I want to give you a challenge as I end the sermon. I want to challenge you this, this month. I want to challenge you to do something. I want to challenge you to choose one of the Gospels, one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. I'm choosing John. Choose whichever Gospel you want. And I'm asking you, I'm challenging you to read one chapter in that Gospel you choose a day. And identify one thing God says to you about you, not about anybody else, but about your life in that chapter. 
And each day on my blog, I'm going to talk briefly about something God said to me in the chapter I read. And you're welcome to go to the comments section and say, you know, I read Mark 15 and God said this to me. Now, don't, don't write a book, you know. Reader's Digest version. <laughs> and I'm going to encourage you to take the challenge this coming month of choosing one of the Gospels and read one chapter in it every day. And let's just see what God does as, over the weeks to come. We really focus on learning about what it means to follow Him. Okay? Let's stand.